Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning and happy Tuesday, everyone. Happy NFL Tuesday. Uh, Greg Cosell over here, as, as always, on the X's and O's. And Greg, we've got rookies reporting to training camp today. It's here. <laughs> back. Ugh, thank goodness. How are I you doing, man? NFL Films in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Uh, how, how are things over there? Uh, good. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that about rookies. I feel like the season, 2022 season, just ended, Doug, you know? And here's rookies reporting to camp. God, I... The matchup show will be starting in what uh, first first regular season week, so that's really not that far away. No, you're probably prepping for it already. Well, uh, I will be doing that shortly. Yes, 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 indeed. Uh, you and I both have vacations coming up. Ha! In which we'll be watching. Yeah, well, that's just a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vacation is just a word, kind of like running back contract is just a concept. But uh, we're not going to be talking about running backs today, although we uh, certainly could, given what's happened. Uh, we're going to talk, and we've done, like, building the perfect secondary, building the perfect defensive line, building the perfect offensive line. And we're going to go to, sorry, running backs, it's been a bad enough week for you guys, the marquee position in the National Football League and every level of football. Long or, snapper. Yes, building the perfect long snapper. We're going to go three hours on that. No, we're not. <laughs> uh, Netflix, uh Manning's Omaha Productions has a great uh, series on it on Netflix called Quarterback. And today, Dr. Costell, we are going to build the perfect quarterback. And what I'd like well, I think to- we'll talk about the quarterback position. I don't know. You know, building the perfect quarterback is kind of a, an interesting deal. But, yeah, we'll talk about the quarterback position. Well, in our evil laboratory here. Right, uh, right. And some would say that NFL Films is an evil laboratory. You've got all that tape down there, which I've, it's like, wow, those those labs. Good goodness. Uh, but enough of my nine-year-old NFL films stuff. So when we talk about quarterbacks, and you and I have discussed this, I've heard you talk about another podcast, and people say that the pre-snap process and how quarterbacks need to win before the snap, it's a good general term, and I think people understand it to a point. But when we say this court, and Tom Brady is sort of the alpha ultra, you know, sort of one of them, uh, Manning, Breeze, whoever. What does winning before the snap actually mean, and how do quarterbacks do it or not? Well, can we take a step back before we even get there? Because I think it's important for people to understand what goes into playing quarterback and where you have to start with the quarterback right. position. Sure. You know, quarterback. Start where you want. Yeah, and, and I love the fact that I can see behind you, you have Bill Walsh's book, Finding the Winning Edge, of course. which uh, I have as well, and was fortunate enough to have it signed by Mr. Walsh. So uh, I'm, I'm very, that's one of my most prized possessions. Of course, but, and you uh, got to talk ball with him, which is. Oh, I did, I did. Average, yeah. he, he's really my starting point for the quarterback position because of I course. spent about four or five different times with him. Okay. And uh, I, w- I didn't have much to say, Doug, as you can imagine, I was just listening. Uh, yep, because so uh, he, so he knew he knew just just a touch more th- th- than I do, you know, just a touch. Yeah, um, he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah, 
But, yet, you know, you have to start with how you teach the position. You know, mm-hmm. we see it on Sundays and we see guys, you know, whether it's the Patrick Mahomes of the world playing the way in which he plays, whether it's Tom Brady playing the way in which he played, two totally different things. Yes. But the, the teaching is where it starts. Mm-hmm. And, and because quarterback, despite – seeing all these improvisational special plays by the Mahomes, the Josh Allens, who, whoever we're talking about. Quarterback is ultimately a nuanced, detailed, disciplined craft position, and that's the way it's taught. And the good coaches start literally with taking the snap from center, whether it's under center or shotgun snap. It starts there. Then it starts with your footwork on your drop, and there's different kinds of drops. Um, normally we associate it with three-step, five-step, seven-step. In the gun, the timing and the footwork's a little bit different, but it's still footwork and timing. And then it's where you hold the ball, what we either call ball carriage or ball staging. You know, you have to hold the ball in a certain spot. You can't hold the ball up here. You know, remember when Aaron Rodgers came out of Cal playing for Jeff Tedford? He held the ball literally up by his chin, and that got changed as soon as he got to the NFL because sure. it's very hard to do anything athletically with your hands up here. Um, and then it's you don't want to hold the ball too low either, down by your waist. You never want to be down by your waist. So all these things go into the starting point for how you teach a quarterback. Now, they may seem to people like, well, a guy gets to the NFL, he doesn't need to be taught that. That is absolutely not true. You know, no matter what level of, of coaching you're doing with the quarterback, you need to start there. This all needs to happen before you even think about, um, you know, what what your route uh, concepts are, what your approach is in the pass game. And obviously there's multiple approaches, uh, you know, that that all stem from kind of the the Bill Walsh on one side, the Don Coriel on the other side and things in between. Um, the Sid Gilman from everywhere who was the right, father. Right, right, right. I mean, you know, uh, the Ron Earhart had a specific approach. Dan Henning had a specific approach. These are coaches from back in the day, and everything sort of evolved from all this into the the multifaceted pass game approaches that we see in the NFL. Even air raid concepts, you know, clearly from back in the day when they were founded by Hal Mummy, they 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 have their place in the game as well. Because mesh, which is a concept we see every team run, really came from the air raid and then the Hal Mummy. Um, uh, you know, worldview, but right. that's how you start with the quarterback position. You have to teach players how to execute at their highest level physically, what they do with their bodies first and foremost, and then you get to the mental part of the game, and that's where you really ask the question: Is okay? Then what happens? Then you have to understand route concepts. Then you have to understand how you read route concepts. Um, then you have to understand defenses to some extent. A lot of coaches talk about functional intelligence. You don't have to know what all 11 players on the defense are doing. That's not humanly possible to function. You have to understand what your route concept is and then the defenders that dictate where you throw the ball based on the route concept. It might be one defender. It might be two defenders. But it's never going to be seven defenders or eight defenders. It's just too much. Otherwise, you can't play. so well, now break, getting to your- there's something, and you've mentioned this a couple uh, on a couple different shows I've heard, and I thought it was a great way to put it. And I guess instead of winning before the snap, I want to go into this and what you mean by it because it really sums it up nicely to me is isolation and elimination. When yes, you- that's I, 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 you know, it's funny. I actually came up with that term in my own mind about seven or eight years ago. You know, everybody calls it processing, and that's a good term as well. 
But as I watch tape, I start to think to myself and spending time with different people, obviously, you know, and you just get different thoughts that pop into your head and different things that resonate. Um, I start to think to myself that what do you really want to do as a quarterback? You want to be able to limit, eliminate where not to go with the ball and isolate where to go with the ball within the timing and structure of the drop and the route design. That's right. what you're ultimately doing because no coach rolls the ball out. As much as we see Mahomes and Josh Allen and quarterbacks that can make those special improvisational plays, no quarterback in practice in training camp rolls the ball out and says, you know what, guys, we're just going to run around and, and see what happens today. That's and by the, the way, way, those quote unquote unstructured plays, I, I believe me, I watched Russell Wilson come up from right know, third round pick to to where you know where he was in Seattle. I know for a fact those unstructured plays, they're rep too. They're in the playbook too. They no have you know, scramble drill routes that Doug Baldwin used yep. to run all the time. Those are repped. It's not like, oh, Patrick's gonna go nuts over here. No, 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 no. Andy Reid and all those guys, they they rep that stuff. So even Right, but my point is is that you don't just say to a quarterback, oh, just drop back and run around. Right. Yeah, that, that's not the way it's coached. Obviously, there are times the defense wins uh, or something happens for any number of reasons or variables, and the sure. quarterback does have to move. And, yes, there are – you practice those – what, what are essentially unstructured plays. You do practice those. Uh, and sometimes quarterbacks are just special like Patrick Mahomes, where he does things that maybe are not practiced at all. And it just happens in the context of, of a game. Um, but the point I'm making is that, you know, you get to the idea, the idea, because what coaches want to do with their route concepts versus any coverage, even a coverage, maybe you don't expect is within your route concepts, you want to have an answer for the quarterback within the structure and timing, as I said, of the drop, the set, and the route concept slash combination. You want to have an answer. So let's say I'll give you a very simplistic example, okay? And, and receivers are part of this as well. It's not just the quarterback. So every I assume most people listening to us have some sense of a concept called all go four mm -hmm. vertical routes. So let's yeah. say you line up in a two by two set, two receivers on each side, the backs in the backfield and all, each receiver basically runs a vertical route, all go, right. you know, that's a lot of teams called all go special, you know, whatever the name is, it's irrelevant. Okay. Normally you call that particular route concept against cover three, which is a zone coverage with a single high safety because the two inside receivers are running vertical routes and the single high safety can't play both verticals. He's only one person. Okay. This is a normal cover three. Cover three has many variations now. We won't get into that right now, but this is in conventional cover three. Well, let's say you call that play and all of a sudden you get a shell coverage, meaning four across. You don't get cover three. Well, the quarterback doesn't just drop back and fall down or drop back and run around. You have to have an answer. So right. what the answer is in this involved, the quarterback has to understand this, obviously, but the receivers then understand it as well. Is very often the inside receivers, instead of just running vertically, they will bend inside behind yes. the underneath coverage. So now it gives the quarterback a place to throw the football because you don't want those two inside verticals just running right as at those two shell safeties and just covering themselves. So now you have an answer. You know, mm -hmm. that's what coaches try to do. They try to give the quarterback an answer based on route concepts and combination, regardless of the coverage. Yes. Routes 
concepts are called based on an anticipation of a specific coverage, but you don't always get that. Um, so what I'm trying to get at, which gets back to your original point, is the great quarterbacks can come to the line of scrimmage based on their film study. And they, they know this even before they come to the line of scrimmage, but obviously they have to look at the defense. They know this based on their film study. Okay, we just called whatever it is we called, and I'm anticipating this defense, and you know what? I'm seeing it. So now I know. I pretty much know that I've got this throw. This throw is going to happen because I know what our concept is. I know what the coverage is. The really good quarterbacks get to the point where a high percentage of the time, they know the answer to that. You know, they know the answer to the test before the ball snapped. Now, the really good ones, and this takes time, you know, and development in the league, the really good ones take a little, you know, it takes a little more time when you don't get exactly what you might have anticipated. And the answer is still there, but you've got to get to it within the timing and structure of the drop. And believe me, uh, you've probably been at training camps. I've been at training camps in my career. This stuff happens really fast. Yep, it does. Really yeah, fast. Uh, you don't. Uh, I've I've told my wife and my friends like you don't really realize how fast and how, uh, like physically terrifying football is until you stood on the sideline. Yeah. And it's like, okay, go play on a freeway. Like stand on a freeway, and that's that's what it's like. Um, and I, well, the I, other thing, stand behind a quarterback, let's say a training camp, and realize how big the guys in front of the quarterback are, and yeah. you still have to see everything. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's you know, go back to Russell Wilson. I mean, he found a way. It was like with uh, it, it's like blinds opening, and Breeze would boot right because he was six feet. Tall. I've stood. I've talked to Drew Breeze, and I'm five nine. You know, generously. He wasn't that much taller than me. So the six foot, I don't know, but you know, you have to open those windows by, you know, doing whatever. And I know just to bounce off everything you said, which was awesome. Like I did a piece a, a few weeks ago about how the chiefs kind of learned to not beat too high, which was the, you know, the blueprint for Patrick Mahomes. And I know how much we love that word. And one of the ways they do it was they would like set it up to run all go and then, oh, it's too high. It's not three. It's it's quarters. Okay. We're going to send Nicole Hardman and uh, Valda Scantling up on straight verts, and that will allow the safeties, that force the safeties up, and then Kelsey has that 15-yard, you know, in cut wide open where he might not before. So that's part of winning pre before the snap is you anticipate because there's so many more coverage switches, as we've discussed in the NFL now than there ever have been before. The quarterback also has to know, and the coaches have to know, and this is part of pre-scouting, like, okay, we're playing Team X. They flip from, if they're in cover one on second down, we know they're going to flip to two because they do it like 78% of the time. And right. well, it's, all, it's all probability and tendency. That's yeah. the way things are taught. But then there's basic stuff, which again gets back to the point that you don't want to overload your quarterback. To use a great term that I heard from a, 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 a gentleman who coached in the league for a long, long time, you want your quarterback to play with a quiet mind. You don't yes. want the quarterback to have to – think through so many things that ultimately clutter his mind. So here, let's give an example. Let's say you line up in a three by one set. Okay. Which means three receivers to one side and a single receiver, 99.9% .9 of the time to the short side of the field, the boundary. Okay. And let's say the um, corner over that single receiver is playing press man. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't matter at that point what's happening if it's single high safety this is okay it doesn't matter what's happening to the three receiver side they could be in six different hybrid coverage looks you're going to throw to the one-on-one -on -one. 
you know, because in the NFL, it's matchup football. So if you know you have a one-on-one, you go to the one-on-one. What's happening to the trip side, the defense could be doing really cool stuff, and they could be trying to confuse you till, you know, forever. But it doesn't matter. You know, that's, that is not your concern. You've got one-on-one with ideally a really good receiver because more often than not, your boundary X is, is, is a really good receiver on your team. So you know what? You work the one-on-one. That's so. So it comes down to how you coach it, how you teach it, and functional intelligence. You don't need to be to be looking at so many different things. And I think what happens with some young quarterbacks, and some are just really super intelligent, like the Joe Burrows of the world, who just have the ability for his in the NFL yeah. is just preposterous. Yeah. To see it and collate it, it just happens like that. But that he's the exception, you right. know. But for a lot of young quarterbacks, they get caught up in, uh, boy, there's a lot of bodies out there. And particularly uh-huh. since the NFL game with the hash marks closer together, it's played more in the middle of the field. The college game is played far more on the perimeter because the hash marks are wider. So you get a lot of of college quarterbacks who come into the league and all of a sudden they feel like there's 15 defenders out there. And in fact, Kevin O'Connell, now the head coach for the Vikings told me that, that when he got to the Patriots as a third round pick out of San Diego state, they were in a spread offense. He said, Oh my God, I thought there were 15 defenders on the field because everything now is in the middle. And if you start trying to, it was all right here. Yeah. yeah no if you try, start trying to figure out all of that, like it's a mathematical equation, you're going to be about three weeks behind the play, you know. Right. So there's you, good offensive coaches and good good play designers create route concepts and combinations where the quarterback does not have to think through, you know, a mathematical equation. They can kind of see one or two things and go, okay, now I know where to go with the football. Okay, let's extrapolate that to this. And this is another question I had. The the pure progression read quarterbacks and what we call the see it and throw it guys. And there are see it and throw it guys who have advanced to very high levels. There are see it and throw it guys who have played in the Super Bowls. But how far can you get with a guy who's stuck in pure progression and see it and throw it? And where is that line of delineation? What can't you do? And when do you start to hit the brick wall? Well, maybe we should tell people what pure progression is. Yes. Because, you you know, that's the term that I use a lot. I set you up for that, Dr. Cosell. What's that? I set you up for that, Dr. Cosell. Yeah, uh, because pure progression is what you get a ton in college football. So the quarterbacks are are used to that when they come into the NFL. Pure progression basically is trying to simplify the game for the quarterback because pure progression is not asking the quarterback to have to read defenses and, under you know, it, when I say read defenses, yes. Do you have to know whether it's it's middle open, middle closed? That's about as much as you really need to know, other right. than maybe a blitz alert. But you don't need to know the nuance and detail of all these coverage because what pure progression means is here's a route concept, okay? There's a primary read, there's a secondary read, and there's a third read. You take the snap. You look at your primary read. If he's not open, you don't throw it to him doesn't matter why he's not open. The defense isn't important. He's not open. Then you go to your secondary read. If he's open, you throw it to him. If he's not open, again, he's not open. doesn't matter why. Now you go to your third read. If he's open, ideally, at that point, he's open. Um, you throw it. 
If he's not, then you would probably break down and leave the pocket. But the point is, is you're simply looking at your receivers based on the route concept. If he's open, you throw it to him. You're not really reading the coverage or saying, what's that underneath linebacker doing? You know, that that's not important to you. You're, you're throwing it essentially to kind of the open guy. And that's kind of, like I said, college offenses are built that way because there's so much more space to the wide side of the field is normally like air raid offenses are clearly built that way. Sure. You've talked to air raid coaches and maybe you have throughout your career. Yep. They're not even worried about the defense. They don't even teach the defense to quarterbacks. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Um, so to, so how far can you get with that in the NFL? Not, okay. not as far as, as many might think. I mean, Look, I think you can do pure progression, and I think that that works up to a certain point, and there's a lot of coaches that teach that. But, you know, I think at some point you have to have a sense that, hey, I just came to the line, and you know what? I see something. I see a one-on-one, and I like it because, you know what, that's my that's my best receiver. So, you know what, I'm going to throw the one-on-one. And, yeah, yeah. You, and, and you abandon the, the pure progression because you see something from the defense. Now, again – I'm not suggesting that, like I said earlier, you have to understand the entire defense and the whole field and 11 guys. That's too much. But I think at some point you have to have an awareness of coverage, of, you know, back-end coverage, underneath coverage. At some point, intuitively, you have to have a feel for that. You know, like I said, you don't have to know every detail and nuance of every single defense and every single coverage and every single thing. But, you know, you have to have – I think you have to have more than than a – cursory feel for it sure and if i'm kurt cousins and i know that justin jefferson is my backside xiso and he's going to press that corner vertically he's playing press man and then he's going to bounce off on the 15 yard in cut and i have never seen any cornerback cover justin jefferson on that when he presses you vertically and you think you have to go 30 yards upfield and he cuts in at 15 go home well he has a unique ability to be able to to it's just cut it, at full speed with those yeah. with that stride length that oh. n- not many receivers you know throughout the years have been able to do. There's only been a few, and he's got that ability. Yeah, so sometimes the math is easy. Um, and we we've talked enough. Uh, you know, we we all talk about mobile quarterbacks in the ring on that. I want to talk about pocket movement as opposed to yep. outside the pocket. And Brady to me was the best at this. I love to watch Joe Burrow, but I want to bring up Mahomes as a pocket movement guy as a guy who will stay inside the pocket and win from the pocket. And you and I have both, we've written up Mahomes and other quarterbacks like that. And there aren't too many, but that sort of intrinsic feel he has for bodies around him that not a lot of quarterbacks have, but you don't have to be mobile to have great pocket movement. So let's talk about that and the importance of pocket movement to being a truly great quarterback. Yeah, Dan Marino was a master at that as well yes. back in the 80s and, and through his uh, pretty much until he tore his Achilles when his whole kind of game had to change and he couldn't move. But Marino would probably run a 5-6-40 and he couldn't, you know, he was not a runner out of the pocket, but he had a great feel for moving within the pocket. Sure. I think that's a really important trait to have, even if you're capable of running out like Mahomes, um, you know, or Josh Allen. I think that movement within the pocket is really, really important, uh, you know, just based on I've been watching quarterbacks and talking to a lot of people for a lot of years, um, you know, because keep one thing in mind. What do you, what does your quarterback have to be able to do, Doug, when you think about it? Okay. He has to be able to function intelligently and athletically and pocket movement is an athletic movement. You don't think of Brady as an athlete. You don't think of Marino as an athlete, you know, 
Burrow moves well, but you don't put him in the same category as the Mahomes or Josh Allens of the world, or even the Justin Herberts of the world, you know, and the ability to move. Um, uh, so you have to be able to function intelligently and athletically at game speed amidst a lot of chaos. There I go. mean, there's a lot of chaos. You know, yeah. you're in kind of a cauldron of fire. So you have to be able to at times move, but at the same time, maintaining balance, maintaining footwork, and keeping your eyes downfield. You never want to look at the rush. Now, there have been quarterbacks that have done that. You know Russell Wilson throughout his career. And again, you would never teach someone to do this, but he was able to do it at a high level, maybe because he was 5'10". Russell Wilson dropped his eyes and looked at the, the rush and had, and had a rare ability then to pick his eyes back up and kind of reset where to throw the football. You would never teach a guy to play that way. Yeah, and you know, I know, and you would certainly extrapolate it. Coaches were like, gah, but, you know. There's only so much you can do. Right. You would never teach that. You never want a quarterback to to uh, to use the term we use, read the rush. Um, right. But so you have to have a feel. You know, one of the first things I learned when I started working with Ron Jaworski uh, back in oh, 1989 or 1990, and, you know, uh, he said to me, you never want to see the rush. You have to feel the rush. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a quarterback, you know, certainly quarterbacks who are more pocket driven growing up in the game like a Marino, a Dan Marino or a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees. Um, they they grow up feeling the rush because their first instinct is not to leave. You know, quarterbacks who are great movers like a Michael Vick, for instance, who to me is still just ridiculous when it comes to the athleticism. Um, you know, guys like that were always the best athlete on the field. So anytime they, they felt anything, they were gone because yeah. – they were the best athlete on the field and, and they I could make something I get away with it. And it's fine. Yeah. Right. But you know, you want to have the ability to move within the, I've always used the analogy of an area the size of a boxing ring, but kind yes. of smaller, but use mm-hmm. that as just a general kind of visual principle. Um, but you want to be able to do that because you, that allows you to stay within the structure and timing as well of the route concept and the route design. And just to back off of uh, – to go from one sport to another, uh, Ali is the one who comes to mind because he was always looking to extend the ring as opposed to a guy like Frazier who wanted to cut it, cut it in right. half and then thirds and then quarters and you can't breathe and he's just punching your lights out. Well, Ali, one of the reasons that was – and, of course, the rope-a-dope and, uh, with Foreman was Ali was looking to extend that area. Not, right. yet, he can't make the ring bigger, but he can make it seem bigger because you're always trying to catch him. So Ali would have been a great pocket mover kind of in that sense. No, that's a great analogy. I mean, that's a great point. But, yeah, that that to me, just, you know, from watching years and years of quarterback play, I think that's a, a really important trait personally for a quarterback. Even quarterbacks that can run out of the pocket and make plays, I think there are times, you know, you, you want to move within the pocket and not just get out of the pocket. Well, I think one of the things that makes Mahomes kind of one of one now and maybe ever is the fact that he has become such a good in-pocket mover. That's like, God, what do you yeah. do now? What do you do now? Well, <laughs> He's great in the pocket. He's great out of the pocket. What, what the hell do we do now? And, and when all said and done in, in this league, you know, because defensive coaches, they're pretty good too, and defenses are yeah. pretty good too, is you really don't have a passing game if the quarterback cannot go through progressions. Right. You can't just drop back and take off. No matter how athletic you are, how good you are, you 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 have to have your quarterback has to be able to go through progressions and understand how all that works, or you don't really have a passing game. 
the mantra in today's NFL, Greg, is that it's all about creating and preventing explosive plays. So when we talk about explosive plays, how important is it for a quarterback to have a laser rocket arm? And if a guy has everything else but that, how do you sort of work around it? Well, arm strength is a relative term, okay? Because there's arm rel- strength and arm talent. And, it, and well. it's a relative trait, okay? Right. I mean, Josh Allen obviously has a gun, a ridiculous gun. Do sure. you need to have that kind of gun to play in the NFL? Of course not. Um, Joe Burrow does not have a gun. Um, you know, th- and in fact, you, you'd probably say Joe Burrow has everything but a gun. <laughs> um, you know, so th- it's a relative term. Um are there throws in games that, you know, quarterbacks that have big arms make and you and I and anybody watching those throws go, oh, my God, what a what an unbelievable throw. Yeah, there are plays like that. And by the way, quarterbacks know when what throws they can make and what throws they can't make. Um, there are probably throws that Josh Allen makes that Joe Burrow knows he can't make. Um, there are probably some things Joe Burrow can do that maybe Josh Allen can't do. You know, quarterbacks are different, which is why this gets to something, you know, how I feel strongly about this, which is why I struggle making lists of players because, you know, you get into different traits and and how those traits get applied on the field. Um, So do you need a gun to be a guy? No, you don't need a gun. Um, But are there some throws that some quarterbacks that don't have a gun can't make and are not likely to even try because they know they can't make them? Yeah, those throws happen in games too. Um, uh, but then they can do other things if they're really good, that is. I mean, you know, that's what we're talking about. Well, and that's, um, I mean, how much does having that big arm, how much of it is a get out of jail free card, and how much of it is sort of its own metaphorical prison in that you're so convinced you can just bang it through anything that you try and bang and you make all the throws, but you also make the throws to get your coach fired. Like you make all the throws, including. Yeah, well, now you're talking about guys that have, you know, bad decision makers or or, are are so egotistical about their arm strength that they think they can do anything. And, you know, those guys you hope with experience that gets channeled. So they 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 don't do that. I mean, there's sometimes that's a hard thing to coach. If you talk to coaches, you know, quarterback that drops back and thinks, hey, man, I can make that throw. And he really can't Uh, not because his arm isn't capable of making it because there's really not space to make it, but he thinks he can. Um, yeah. You know, you, you do see that, and you, you hope guys develop over time and understand, hey, what what throw can I make and what throw can I make dependent on the defense, not my own arm strength. Um, right. You know, but the other factor that goes into guys with strong arms and power arms and velocity arms is you have to be able to throw with pace and touch too in this league. You can, everything can't be, you know, 100 miles per hour. And the guys who can't throw with pace and touch, it becomes very, very difficult for them over time to play at a high level because everything can't be thrown at that speed. It's like in baseball. If you shot a ball out of a cannon at 450 miles an hour, Tony Gwynn and his prime would find a way to time it. Eventually, you've got to come up with, you know, your waist picture. You have to have that as well. Um, finally, Greg, and, and I know we've gone along with this. We can do this again, you know, for we can oh, quarterbacks so for three weeks. One more thing about the ideal quarterback. And I want to yeah. talk about the ability of adaptability. And no matter what opposing coaches and defenses throw at you to try and limit your stuff, you're able with your coaches, with your player, your teammates, 
to navigate it to a greater or lesser degree. And I think about Brady. I mean, the, the, the terminology was always the same throughout his career in New England, but he ran so many different systems, so many different types of things. I think of how Mahomes and Reed and Bienemy sort of put their heads together and figured out, okay, this is how we're going to beat the too deep thing, you know, the blueprint, whatever. How important – this almost might be the most important trait for a quarterback to me – the more I think about it, especially in today's NFL where you get so many different defenses, the ability to, with your coaches and with your teammates, yes, but in your own mind, your own sort of determinism, you have to adapt to what the NFL is throwing at you. And these days it changes every two to three years and every like two to three games and every two to three quarters. How important is that? Just you as a an, an athlete, as the face of your franchise, to be able to adapt to whatever defenses are throwing at you and then subsequently beat it long enough to, okay, we, we can't do this to him anymore. He's figured us out. Well, the way I'd answer that, Doug, and you know this, every coach can, can on the iPad or the board in the classroom or on the field can map out route concept beaters for any coverage. Sure. None of these coverages are brand new. Like if you talk about, oh, well, teams started to play more shell coverage against the Chiefs. Andy Reid knows how to beat shell coverage. It's not yeah. like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I've got to go back to the drawing board. No. I mean, every coach knows what – has quarters beaters in their playbook. Every coach has those. Sure. So now it comes – you know, so really what you're asking is what happens in the in the context of games, not, not that, oh, my God, let's start from scratch. What are we going to do? They're playing shell coverage. That's the thing that always amazed me about that AFC championship game a few years ago when Cincinnati got to the Super Bowl, and in the second half they rushed three and they dropped eight, and people acted like, oh, my God, they did something that no one had ever done before. Now, there were a few wrinkles to it, you know, sure. Because all you're trying to do is is just in the NFL fractions matter. You're just trying to take a Mahomes, a great quarterback without question, and just make him take an extra beat before he's comfortable with what he sees. So very often, for instance, they would drop they would drop the end to the side of Kelsey if Kelsey was number three, and all of a sudden Kelsey was not as clean in the route concept, and and maybe Mahomes. If, if he wanted to go to Kelsey, would now have to come off him, and all of a sudden another millisecond or a second goes by, and your defense is in a better position. But yeah, I got to I got to watch tape. Yeah, I got to watch tape with Kelsey a couple of years ago, where the the end comes off and hits him, and he called it the Butch play, and that was a big. He sees that. Yeah, but it's not like that's never been seen or done. Right. You know, none of these things have are are brand new to the point where they've never been seen or done before. All you're trying to do. And sometimes in a particular game, it snowballs a little and the offense just doesn't get back into a rhythm, but it's not because they've never seen what you're showing them. Sure. It's just for whatever reason in that given game, they just don't react to it within the context of the time allotted in the game. But it's not as if, oh my God, what are they, they're, they're rushing three and dropping eight. Oh my God, never saw that before, you know? So, yeah. you know, that's what happens. It's not that it's, you know, that they had to go back to the drawing board and start from scratch. They just have to take different parts of their playbook and say, you know what, if we're getting a lot of this, then here's here are the things now we have to do to counter it. Yeah, out of the blue, we're going to run the most 13 personnel in the NFL. No one expected that from the Chiefs. Well, yeah, I mean, Greg, you and I have both written books about how these things cycle over and over. Of course. Time. So, yeah. And, and, and that's what continue to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, gosh, this feels like a master class here. <laughs> Such good stuff. Uh, appreciate it as always. 
Um, we'll be taking next week off from the X's and O's. This feels like kind of a bonus episode. We covered so much stuff. But we'll be back in early August and through the season. As always, Greg, awesome stuff, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.